What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. And this is Nate Drolet. And together we form Doris and Donald Fisher. Why am I never ready for these? We just <laughs> did two Patreon episodes in a row. And even one of them, I was like, wait, is he going to do it this time? Uh, <sighs> Doris and Donald Fisher. Fisher. Fisher Gap, is that a thing? No. We're on the right track here. Oh, I don't know. Doris and Donald Fisher in 1969 in San Francisco founded The Gap. Oh, okay. I see where we're going with this. (laughs) You were on the right track because today we're here to talk about uh, the things that the gym doesn't prepare you for when you go outdoors, the gap, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is kind of a gym to crag performance edition. Mm-hmm. Um, these aren't things you're going to learn in your gym to crag classes, um, but they're also things that you're not going to learn by just climbing in the gym. Some of them you could potentially learn if you were really intentional about it in the gym. Mm-hmm. But the gym doesn't necessarily set you up very well for these things. Yeah. And I don't know that we'll go through a lot of strategies in this episode on how to learn these things. Um, some of these things could probably become their own whole episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are things you should be on the lookout for if you're new to going outside, if you've been going outside for a while and people think you're a dick, maybe these are some of the things you need to be paying attention to. That's not on my list. I don't... <laughs> with clearly separate lists. Um, yeah. And I think these are just things to keep in mind. Be really intentional about when you go outside. Yeah. Or if you feel like you do go outside quite a bit, and I've got clients who fit in this and you just don't know why your performance isn't carrying over Mm, the way it should. Yeah, true. Uh, And I think this episode, we're just going to go in like list fashion here. Mm -hmm. You go, I go, we'll talk a little bit about it, and we'll we'll keep this thing moving because this started as a list of like four or five and pretty quickly grew to a list of nearly 20. Uh, Yeah, I think our title for this that we had in – our little list app was uh, top five ways. Yeah. that It's no longer the top five. It's all the ways. Yeah. Uh, why don't you go first? All right. Uh, first one, painful holds. Yeah. Good one. Climbing outside hurts. Like, yeah. you know, I uh, often describe climbing at Smith Rock as crimping on puppy teeth mm-hmm. and uh, stepping on Tic Tacs. It, hurt, yeah. it hurts for both. Like, hurts your feet, hurts your hands, and... Indoor holds are so nice. They're so comfy. Yep. Ian over at Kilter, just the smoothest, comfiest holds. There are a lot of great shapers, but you know, I always just dote on him because he creates amazing shapes that are like fun to grab and enjoyable. Yeah. Like 
even great classic rock climbs hurt. Like bleeding when you climb outside, like that just happens. Like that's not, that's not some like strange phenomenon. But like splitting your finger inside, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think, you know, that also extends to like tweaky holds that, you mm. know, maybe you need to be a little more prepared for. Um, for instance, I live here in Lander, Wyoming. Uh, Wild Iris has claimed many a person's tendon. Oh, yes. And pro climbers, you know, I watched Maddie Hong blow a tendon on a 12B. You know, it it's not uncommon here to to get injured. And part of it's because we don't get that much preparation in the gym anymore for tiny little cramps, sharp, nasty, uncomfortable holds, and mm-hmm. things that are a little bit tweaky. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Um, also a lot of, there's a lot of steep climbing. That's what a lot of us tend towards because it's fun, yep. especially in the gym. And if you like boards, which we love, um, but the steeper a climb, kind of the bigger holds naturally have to be versus mm-hmm. if you're climbing on, you know, like a dead vert or 10 degrees overhang, you can grab some nasty little weird holds. Right. But people don't you don't like that in the gym. Like yeah. you'll do that more outside. A lot of times you're just forced into it. Um, so yeah, painful holds, tweaky holds. All right. Next for me is actual top outs. Ooh, um, I love it. You know, some gyms have top out boulders that generally have handlebar jugs you can grab. Love those too. It's not some scary heel above your head mantle on frictiony horse pins, slopers, where if you fall off, you're probably going head first. <laughs> um, it's not that style of top out. It's You just don't get prepared for that stuff in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say one of my favorite tips for mantles, and this is also, so anytime we would do workshops, and especially when we would work with like uh, youth teams, like mm-hmm. youth competitive teams, this is great for slabs and mantles alike. Keep breathing, stay calm, stay conscious also. Like if you can just keep breathing and stay calm on a mantle, your success rate will octuple. Yeah, totally. Because so often people get to the top out of a boulder and in their mind, they're like, I'm done. But all, because they're geographically, they're very close. Yeah. But when things start, you know, kind of going poorly, like when it's not immediately just a handlebar jug they grab and they roll over, they start freaking out. Yeah. They breathe faster. They start looking around really quickly. And it's ironic because if they were, you know, on a jug in the middle of a 45 degree wall, they would probably be more calm. They would look around and be like, oh, hey, where's the next hold? You can do the same thing. In fact, if you're mantling, half your body's probably already on top of the boulder. Just lay down. Literally relax your upper body. You can just get friction. Sometimes you can even just lift your fingers up and you can relax, take your time, take a few breaths, and just slowly work through it. Like mantling is physically not that challenging compared to most climbing but you just have to be mentally prepared for it stay calm keep breathing and that'll get you through a bunch of them yeah and that's not to say there aren't really hard mantles because there absolutely are really hard mantles absolutely um that are quite scary quite hard to figure out you know Mm -hmm. but but you're right you take the time don't make the immediate decision that you can't do it and jump off yeah and you know you're you're gonna get there half the time yeah. Um, all right. My next one is time constraints. You know, when you're in the gym, like you don't have to worry about the season ending when you want to send your 
climb. Like, yeah, things are going to get reset, but at the same time, like, you know, you're probably chasing the new sets anyway. So who even cares about the thing that was set six right. weeks ago? Right. Um, you're not worried about the day ending. So you're not thinking like, okay, I need to get up super early, get to the crag fast because, you know, this sun's going to hit my project. Right. Um, ironically, actually in Houston, I was climbing in a gym with beautiful skylights and yeah. there were sun cruxes on certain mm -hmm. walls, um, yep. but super rare. And even then it's like still climate controlled. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. It's more just something to laugh about, but your climb's going to go into the sun. Your climb might be, you know, there are all sorts of things that you have to deal with for time constraints. So that's something you don't have to do as much indoors and preparing for that can make a huge difference. Yeah. And I think even indoors, it's like, you know the schedule of the setting. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, the the boulder might disappear, the root might disappear in three weeks, but you know that's happening. Uh, outdoors, it, you can very often feel pressured because it could snow tomorrow. Yeah. And then it's out. Then you can't get up the road anymore to even get to your project, you know? Yeah. So... That, that pressure of time definitely does not exist in the same way in the gym. Mm -hmm. uh, next for me, running it out. So just like long stretches between bolts, oftentimes the easier sections of sport climbs will have much longer sections where you're climbing without clipping. And mm -hmm. in the gym, the bolts are all perfectly spaced. It's, you know, in a lot of gyms, it's like do three moves, clip a bolt, three moves, clip a bolt. Yeah. And you never get to climb 25 moves in a row without clipping you know that's relatively common when you're climbing outside to do a lot of moves to be 10 12 15 feet above a bolt um not super common in the gym and and it's something you a lot of people will have to take their time uh, leaning into a little bit at a time to get better at yeah Absolutely. That's uh that is a big one, especially depending on the areas that you go to. Like you may be wandering far from the bolt. Like when I went to Seyus, I was very surprised how much laterally you go away from bolts. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I climbed on a super famous route, uh Face Durat. It's a eight A plus route there, thirteen C for the Americans. Um and there's one section that's it's maybe five ten, but man, you go wandering like, I don't know, eighteen feet out away from the bolt line yep like big jugs but man you're you're out there like it's a, it's it's thrilling yep i think one good tactic you can use in the gym uh if this is something you know you need to lean into a little bit is just delay your clipping a little mm -hmm. and i'm and i'm not saying skip bolts you know <laughs> a lot of gyms frown upon that mm -hmm. but you can still clip a bolt when it's below your waist yeah um you can you can hang out at the clipping hold and shake and breathe a little bit before you clip. That's going to get you a little better at not, not feeling like you have to clip right away, getting more comfortable, being relaxed above bolts. Absolutely. Um, my next one is using beta videos. So this is something that does in, exist indoors to some degree. Yeah, and more and more. Like Kaya is doing a yep. fair amount of this kind of thing. Yeah, in it, so it can exist, but it's just not as common. Um, you know, like certain boards, like Tension and Moon, both have uh, a button you can press to watch videos. But 
it's always either some like six foot four bro or <laughs> it's some woman who's like four eleven and way stronger than me. Yeah. And I don't I don't need to see either of those. You know, <laughs> one's not helpful and one just really hurts. Um so yeah, like but going outside, you can find, you know, a million videos for anything. People yeah. all sizes and all different types of beta. And you have to pay attention. Like you can learn a lot from videos like What's the landing like? How many pads do they bring? Yep. Do they have a spotter? No. Like, because like there are plenty of times where things are padded. Well, you may not need a spotter. Is that spotter really close? And do three people in a row have a spotter in the same spot? Maybe there's a death pit you don't see. And you're like, this looks exciting. <laughs> yep. And then like you go out and you're like, oh, this is exciting. Like there are all these different things you can learn from video and other than just simply beta. And learning how to take that in is super important so that when you go out there, you're as prepared as possible. Yep, totally. Um, I'll play off of that for my next one, which is uh, uneven landings and fall path planning. Yep. You know, and this includes for spotters and belayers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the gym, you're belaying on perfectly flat ground where there there's not people's stuff ideally piled all over and hopefully not there's not a drop off there's not a boulder behind you mm -hmm. you know there's not tree roots sticking up you're also you never have to shuffle pads you never have to figure out how to flatten out a, a landing and i'm not saying you know dig the dirt away to flatten out a landing i'm just saying how to stack pads to make it flatter um there's a lot of that goes into that and and you learn none of that in the gym. Yeah, um, back when I was a Waco Tanks guide, that was, <clears throat> I, I mean, I like to think it's how I earned my tips, but basically people would just throw their pads out and I mean, like gaps and corners and pads are overlapping and I had to take out a group of 10 people, 10 huge <clears throat> organic pads drop, hit the ground and I'm like, y'all are, are just gonna break ankles. I don't know how you can have like the foam to bad landing zone ratio here is incredible, <laughs> really. I'm impressed. But just go go sit, go look at go look at the wall and I'm going to fix this for you because this is awful. So I would like immediately dit like disassemble whatever pad shenanigans they laid out and be like, "Okay, this is how we're going to do it." Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of what I said may have changed a little in recent years, especially in commercial gyms with like big giant volumes and holds um, <laughs> that planning your fall path on a sport climb might be a little more harrowing in the gym now than it used to be. That's a real thing. Um, but, you know, there's still not like, especially when you're climbing in the lower grades, they're often going to be big ledges and things like yeah. that that you have to consider when you're climbing and and that doesn't really happen quite as much in the commercial gyms though you know making sure you don't hit that boss on your way down is could definitely be a problem yeah yeah like uh man especially with like trad climbing five yeah. six way scarier than five eleven totally five six you're hitting things on the way down <laughs> yeah just absolutely. a staircase yeah you're just bouncing off of things <laughs> as you fall yeah um so the next one is the dynamics of moving around a crag and trying to fit everyone's schedule in. Mm. So this, yep. I think, is a huge one, and it's one that, man, I see experienced climbers still make the mistakes with all the time. Totally. Um, you know, like bouldering is a great example. If you're bouldering in the gym, like, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to go to this wall for a little bit. Okay, and there's 
20 climbs on, you know, a 15 foot wide spray. Perfect. Everyone right. gets to climb. And then it's like, oh, hey, let's go over there. Everyone moves to that one. You go outside and it's like, oh, there's this one boulder and we're going to be here yeah. for two hours. And then we're going to go to that one boulder. And a lot of people might feel self-conscious and they're like, oh, I don't want everyone to sit here and wait because like it's only my V5 here and everyone else climbs harder and they've done this already or or vice versa. You know, I've had clients who are like, they want to break into V10, but everyone they climb with, you know, is climbing in that like maybe V4 to V7 range and they don't want them to have to sit at their project. But if you have this discussion early on, you're like, hey, let's let's split this up. Like, you know, there's five of us. Also, maybe keep groups reasonable. If you go out with a group of 15 people, no one's going to be happy for the most part, especially the people who have to climb around you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like plan it early. Make sure that, you know, you just say, hey, like, oh, you want to get on that? We're going to go there in the morning or we'll go there for an hour. We'll switch off. You can eat, rest for a while, we'll go to my project for an hour. If I like, keep switching back and forth, make plans. Yeah, totally. I think it's so, such a valuable thing. And it's also, uh, people mess it up on both ends. Like when they go outside, um, there are people who will certainly play the role of like the guide, the person who puts up the top ropes, the, you know, and they end up ruining their entire day because they've never had to figure out how to run logistics for a, a group of people of differing ability levels. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> totally. And they're, they feel responsible. And, you know, man, I once again, I've had clients who are like, oh, you know, I was putting up top ropes and cleaning things for people. And I yep. did six pitches of 510 before I got to get on like my 12, 512 project. Yep. It's like, well, six pitches of 510 is still tiring. Like Totally. Like, especially when you're trying to do something at your limit, only two grades above. Yep. And I'll play off of that with a, a little more rare situation, but um, when you don't have other options, the gym doesn't prepare you for the situation where this is the thing. This is the only thing here. <laughs> I came all the way up here for this thing. Mm -hmm. It's either all I have left at this crag. It's the only boulder here. You know, I'm going to have to hike back to my car with all my stuff and drive to another area if I want to climb on something else. It doesn't prepare you for that reality and the, you know, all the challenges that come along with trying just one sequence for an entire day of climbing. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the gym, if you get tired of it, if you get frustrated with it, whatever it is, you can just move to the next boulder 10 feet away that's the exact same grade. You can go pick out holds that you want to pull on more, mm -hmm. whatever it is. It, it doesn't prepare you for that reality. Yeah, that's always my favorite. Uh, you know, I've got like the seven go rule, which I talk about a lot, which mm -hmm. is when you find a move that feels stopper, rather than passing judgment immediately, try it seven times before you make any decisions. You know, did you get closer? Cool, maybe keep trying it or come back in the future. If you made zero progress, not even like you slapped your hand an inch closer to the hold, after seven goes, you know, maybe it's too hard for you right now and that's okay. Move on to something else. I say this and inevitably someone will always be like, oh, seven goes. I mean, like I'm going to get hurt if I try something seven goes. And like, I never try anything for seven goes. And it's funny because then I think about, I'm like, yeah, like I think about projecting outside and like, man, I'm going to spend eight hours under this boulder. Yeah. And maybe three moves. I might bring a lawn chair. Like essentially, like I got my picnic basket. Like I am... 
I'm camping. Yeah. Here was at it, this boulder. Was it Dave Graham's post I just read um, where he said he would try this boulder sometimes 200 times in a session? Uh, he did just do uh, La Rustica. I haven't read it. I s- saw it. I haven't read it, but... Somebody's post I just read was like, <laughs> you know, I tried it for six days, usually around 200 times a session. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, that... How many the gym s- does not prepare you for that reality. <laughs> how many seven goes were there in that? <laughs> Dave Graham's over here living that 200 go rule. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. And, but I agree. It doesn't prepare you for that because, you know, you try to move twice and you're like, yeah, I don't know. I'll try the thing right next to this. Right. So easy to do. No options. Yeah. Um, to fit right along with that is not having your perfect warm-up scenario. Yeah. Like warming up in the gym is so nice. I love it. I love having my circuit that, it's, that I can do every time and that I know really well and makes me feel like a fucking superhero. It's great. And it's warm and it's cozy. And like, oh, you know what? My shoulders are a little tight. I'm going to go do some kettlebell, some pullovers. I'll do some arm bars. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm going to go, I'll get on the vert wall and climb some vertical jugs, maybe do some twisting and then slightly more overhanging. I'll go through my circuit, warm up well, hop on the hangboard, then really recruit the fingers. Yeah. Now I'm ready. Do do two heavy deadlifts just to make sure my, my glutes are recruiting properly. Exactly. We're getting this all. But you go outside and you're like, uh... Perfect example. I got a buddy who was just out in uh, Salt Lake the other day and went up climbing and went to a boulder that has V9 and a V11 on it. And he went out and he climbed those two. And I was like, yeah, is there any good warm up? He was like, well, you know, the top of the 11 is like, uh, like V4. So I did that a few times. And then I did the nine and then I did the 11. Yeah. And I was like, yep, that sounds right. That's, uh, you know, maybe we do some pull-ups in there, some jumping jacks. Yeah. Like, I, I walked from the parking lot to the boulder. Like, that warmed me up. But warming up outside is very in unideal a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And it often catches me off guard whenever I'm with someone who doesn't climb outside much. We'll be going out. And they're like, oh, where, where's the warm-up? And I'm like, oh, is this really terrible thing? Or it's like, it's the bottom of the 13D. You're going to do the first right. four bolts. Exactly. We'll repeat it a couple times. And they're like, but it's 13D. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's whatever. Just- yeah, exactly. Like when I was doing trying Fly to the Antelope, which I, I made a video about on our YouTube, it's a V10 that sits by itself. There's not much to warm up on near it. Um, the top of it is an okay warm up but it's also absolutely terrifying and has one of the scariest moves I've ever done up high. Um, so not a thing I wanted to warm up on. Definitely you know? not. Um, just wasn't an easy situation. And in the gym, I would have climbed my perfect circuit and gotten on it and been ready to go. And I probably would have sent it days and days earlier <laughs> because of that, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so something you got to kind of learn to... Work, work with as best as you can. Yep. I will I will play off of that as well with um, the logistics to planning a day out. So not just even the day out, but the making sure all the things you need to do at work and the things you need to do at home and talking to your significant other, your partner, and, you know, making sure all those plans are in place and 
you don't have to do any of that to go to the gym for 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, you got to pack food. You can't stop at Chipotle on the way. Right. Exactly. There's so much to it that's different than going to the gym. Do you eat Chipotle before you go to the gym? Uh, Well, if I go before, I don't add meat because meat makes your hands sweat, as we've learned (laughs) from Alex Magos. So I do a vegetarian burrito before. You know, I should start actually getting protein on the side. I should get the vegetarian burrito, get the new uh, pollo asado. Um, not sponsored by Chipotle, but I would be, call me. Um, get that on the side, like in a little bowl or something, and then eat half, stuff the rest in the other half once I'm done. Mm. Hit that anabolic window. I like this, but what we don't know is if your hands sweat just because you bought meat, or mm. do they only sweat when you eat meat? Are these like, you know, guilty sweats of Maybe. animal product? That's certainly possible. Hmm. Science, we need to work. We need to run some research on this. We need to figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the logistics of going out, like, and it sounds silly, but I mean, it it is a thing. Like you have, like a gym bag is something that can like just live in your car. Yeah. Versus like you're going outside, you need to have your pads. You need to have all these different things. Yeah. And if you have a, you know, if you have a career that, that means you're either, you need to be on call or people need to be able to reach you. Uh, you have a family, you have lots of other responsibilities. It can be a pretty big task to get an entire day away where you don't need to be able to be reached. Yeah. And most climbing areas, that's the case. Yeah. Uh, in Waco, uh, our buddy Kwong, he had, I remember one day I was going out and we're out on East Mountain and I look over and he's got his laptop out. He was working remote. He was like, I get good service here. We're at the Try Harder Boulder. And he's like sitting on top of the boulder working. He's like, I just got to get a few hours in here and then I try my project in the afternoon. But yeah, so he found a spot on East Mountain where he got good enough service that he could hotspot into that's work, work we, remote. We need that in guidebooks from now on. That's the new, that's the new <laughs> the thing in guidebooks, little antenna icons so you know where you get hotspots. <laughs> Amazing. Um, So my next one is, it's much harder to avoid crowds. Mm. Like you're in the gym, you can kind of, you can kind of move around, go to a different wall, especially you just go to a wall that wasn't set in the last 10 days. Yeah. Empty. Totally. Um, Or you just go where the climbing teams aren't. But, and a lot of the gym, a lot of the mega gyms now are so vast enormous that there could be 250 people in the gym and there are still five or six corners where there's nobody yeah and with the amount of people who work remotely now a lot more people are going in early so they can avoid crowds Mm -hmm. Um, so you can do that and if you go outside especially if you're a weekend warrior and if you want to climb on good rock climbs yeah man people like good rock climbs it's weird but they get busy (laughs) you might get lucky like, mm-hmm. you know, you might just happen to hit the day at drive-by when there are only, I don't know, 70 people there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But most days uh, on good weather, there are a lot of people lined up for the best rock climbs at a lot of the good climbing areas. Yeah. So that's something you have to get used to. And, you know, learning how to communicate with people yeah. as you're doing that. You know, that's something I was fortunate. I started sport climbing at the Reds, so... 
you just quickly, like, I didn't know you could go to a crag that didn't have 80 people at it. Yeah. Like, you just wait in line. Like, that's what you, or you like, you know, you chop it up, you figure out what's the lineup. Hey, oh, is this a red point go? Are you working? Is this a working burn? And these are just comfortable, casual conversations like it. But then I've gone to more remote crags. And I'll walk up to people like, hey, how's it going? You know, what's what's the lineup like? Like, how long do you think you're going to be on it? And they look at me like, I've got antlers growing out of me. <laughs> They're just like, there are eight other routes here that you could be getting on. Why are you trying to get on this yeah, one? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I, I didn't realize this was not a normal thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's a good, it's a really great skill to learn. And it has its benefits. You know, you and I really first started connecting, queuing up for Roots in the Red. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Has its benefits. All right. uh, Next for me, it doesn't prepare you unless you're like in the Midwest or maybe even the Southeast. It doesn't (laughs) prepare you for adverse conditions. I already knew where this is going. Yeah. Um, I've definitely climbed in some old gyms in the Midwest that's like just as humid and sticky and hot and gross Mm -hmm. to prepare you for summer in the red if you're going to climb in the red in the summer yeah um but otherwise most gyms don't they're climate controlled you never have to worry about conditions you know not to mention the like frustration of trying something difficult in conditions yeah you know and deal with rain i actually have a photo on one of our one of my first blog posts i forget which one it is but it's of a hold in tba the gym in chattanooga that didn't have they would try and install like AC once a year. Yeah. They're like, we're getting it. it and then just it get chalked up and yeah, die. It'd run a week and then they're like, <laughs> windows are open. They stay open. Yeah. But I have a photo of a dual text, like DRCC, one of those like half moon holds. And the bottom was dual text and it was covered in condensation beads. <laughs> and that was just, that was just it. Yeah. But most places, yeah, we don't, you don't have to worry about it. And it's great. You just go in and it's nice all the time. Yeah. Totally. Um, My next one is the need for core strength. Mm. Like climbing indoors, you just don't need it as much. Like you're not doing as intricate of foot movements. Like it's, it's not a fun style to climb inside where you have to like do ticky tacky moves, keep really tight. Like I can't, you know, I lived in Houston for almost two years. I could count on one hand the number of, hard foot moves I had to do in that gym where I was like, oh, I need to lock everything down. And the hard part of this boulder is this foot move. Yeah. Where, I mean, every rock climb I try outside, it's like, oh, there's a hard foot move. Like I remember living in Chattanooga, Jimmy Webb was talking about trying this project at Rocktown, which ended up becoming the matriarch. Mm -hmm. I think he said it took him three days to do the foot moves in isolation. Mm Mm-hmm. And when he would be trying it, like his core tension for doing the foot moves was what was failing first. Like that would end his session because they were that hard. Yeah, I believe it. I think it has a lot to do with like, you know, setters are able to put the feet exactly where they want them. They're able to put the handholds at exactly the angle where they want them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they should. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to... Put the thing at a funky angle. Don't put a foot where you want it. Put the foot a little too far away. And, you know, people are going to complain. Somebody's going to come in and be like, that foothold's too far away. Mm-hmm. You know? So the fuck what? 
<laughs> set them a different boulder. It doesn't mean you have to change this one, you know? I really think that's a big part of it. Just we've we've gotten trapped into putting the holds where we want them. Yeah, and it's, you know, and it's fun, but also it's like, and also there's just so many gyms have enormous footholds. Like, yeah, it, man, I don't, I would just laugh so hard. Like there were so many times I'd be like, oh, these are, I'm on a 45, I'm on these half pad and cut crimps and I am stepping on toasters. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. what is happening? Like <clears throat> I could be climbing in this, these are my tennis shoes. And maybe that's like, I don't know, maybe there's something to that. Like a lot of setters will forerun in tennis shoes or very comfy shoes, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Like, you know, route setters job is hard and like people complain about it all the time. I'd be wearing comfy shoes too. Yeah. But like, it's, it's not that often that I go somewhere where I'm like, oh, these are like, bad footholds that aren't just like horrendous smears these are like truly bad footholds that i need to keep my feet on and apply a lot of tension for totally and that's my next one is bad feet Mm -hmm. i think gyms do slopey feet really well yep i think part of it is the production like i didn't know this until i worked with escape to create our inductors and diodes and resistors how hard and expensive it is to create tiny in-cut feet it's it's so hard to produce them. Why would you spend all this time and energy making this tiny little foothold that people are will be willing to pay $4 for <laughs> versus yeah. you could make a giant sloper in the same amount of time and sell it for $95? Yep. <clears throat> it, it doesn't make any sense business-wise, so nobody's going to do it. And that's why... We're the only ones who do it and escape produces the things more as a favor for me <laughs> and for the home wall owners. Yeah. Um, because they're certainly not making any money off of it, you know? So for me, that's, that's a big one. Um, if you want to learn to climb on slopey feet, the gym will prepare you quite well for that. Maybe not for real friction smears, um, better now. They're doing a much better job now. Mm-hmm. But the small, in-cut, tiny little edges you have to toe into, non-existent in the gym. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'd say the last two years of living in Houston, like I got a lot better at smearing and moving off of slopey feet. Yep. But man, like going back to climbing outside more often, like I have, like my skills have degraded. Sure. For like... I mean, for one, using small feet and two, like engaging my core the way mm-hmm. I used to, which both of those I used to consider two of my greatest strengths. Yeah. Um, but it may, like it makes sense to me why, you know, I'll talk with people who climb predominantly indoors or they'll climb like on boards a lot. And they're like, yeah, I just, I don't think core strength really plays that big of a role in climbing. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, or they'll be like, yeah, I mean, you know, f- footwork, whatever. But it's like, if you it's predominantly- because you're climbing outside a lot. Yeah, if you're climbing outside a lot, like, man, those things are enormous and, like, you can't have enough of them. Yeah, and pro tip, definitely buy our footholds. They will make you a better climber, assuming you use them instead of letting your ego get in the way. <laughs> I hear they're not possible to stand on. <laughs> I've been told that. Um, so my next one is detailed sequences. So highly intricate movement sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a style, and I stole this phrase from Matt Pincus, and it's order of operations. Mm-hmm. And so often you'll have this outside where, 
okay, there's a sequence where you're not traveling geographically very far. Maybe you're only going three feet, but there might be 12 moves. Right. Like you're bumping a hand up, shifting a foot, dropping your pinky so you can set the heel in, mm -hmm. then lowering the heel, like all these little intricate things. And each of those 12 moves, not bad, but you must do them in perfect order. If you mess up one one part of the sequence, that's it. You're right. Your go is done. You're you look, just stuck there looking at it. Like what, what happened? What yeah, did I do wrong? Yeah. You're like, I forgot to move the <laughs> pinky and I'm like, I did the full span move and now I can't, I can't pull the pinky off to set the heel and I'm stuck. You just step off or you, you can try and go, but you're not going to do it. Yeah. I never have the problem of forgetting to drop the pinky. You, way ahead of all of us yeah. right here. Yeah. I've been practicing that. Living in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but order of operations climbing, like highly detailed sequences. Yeah. And it makes sense because it's like, one, it's really hard to set. Most climbing holds, like a lot of them are made to grab one way. Right. Like even if they're big and beautiful, and sometimes there are other ways, but like a lot of times there's one way to grab a hold and that's how you're going to do it. So you're not going to readjust, shift, do different things. And it's really hard in the gym where holds are like a little bigger, bigger, like more beefy and cut. Like it's hard to set these small intricate moves and where people don't just like pull through. Yeah. Uh, and when the feet are gigantic, it's hard to stop people from just leaping off of these giant feet, you know? Yeah. A classic example is the uh, World Cup just happened in Seoul, South Korea. And the finals, I think it was men's number three, like Yoshiki Ogata goes out first and does the whole sequence. It's like this big dog-legging boulder that goes way out right, super intricate footwork, all these things, like hard shoulder jump, jump move, comes back, like all these things. Second guy comes out, looks up, and and he's pretty tall, uh, skips, I think, like six moves. Yeah. And literally just like grabs one good hold and leaps to a jug and goes to the top. And it's like, oh, hopefully he's just tall. Every climber after that yep. just did the exact same thing because it's like, man, like if you like give strong climbers a decent foot and a decent hand and they can just launch off of it. Yep, totally. But yeah, outside, like things are just a little, there's a lot more like kind of fucked up holds, like weird things like, oh, this is just like a dimple that you're grabbing. Like mm -hmm. you would never want to grab it inside because it's maybe painful. It's just weird, but it's like you, I have to grab this dimple and then shift to where the dimple's the pinky now and like, yep. All these things. Yeah, that leads me right into my next one, which is non-holds. It doesn't teach yeah. you how to use non-holds, you know? I just I just did a, a boulder V10-ish thing um, that I had found and cleaned up and figured out the moves for, and, and I couldn't identify many of the things I ended up using as holds as holds <laughs> until I, like, got to a position and was like, how how can I move out of this position? Oh, I need this thing. That's not a hold, but weird. It works, you know. Yeah. And there are all these like complicated uh, order of operations on non holds where I'm flipping things and holding things a weird way that don't look like a traditional climbing hold at all. Yeah. And I think if you can understand those things a little better, know how to use them, start to be able to see them, it opens up a lot of avenues for you climbing and you just can't really learn that in the gym. Maybe there's a little more of it with volume climbing mm -hmm. now, um, but those still rely on like corners and things to be able to use. It's 
still not nearly as subtle as real rock is. It's very televised. Yeah. Like, oh, this is kind of a non-hold, but the hold is there and it's like covered in chalk and like... Right. This hold here is a non-hold. Exactly. It's like this <laughs> bright pink thing is here and you're like, oh, this is... They put it here for a reason. Like there's... Right. You go outside, like there's no reason that any of these holds are here. Like you just have to wade your way through this chaos. Um, you know, one of my favorite examples of that is the Rhino in Waco. Mm-hmm. Like I walked under it before it had ever been done and gun to my head, I wouldn't have told you there was ever a climb there. Even after it had been chalked up and done, you know, half dozen times, I still walked under it and I was like, the slopers are upside down. Yeah. Like, I don't know why these are chalked and it really took like climbing on it and moving across it to be like, oh, you can use these. It's, it's insane. Like, but to have the vision for that, it's like really cool. But so much of that happens outside where it's like, yeah, these little dimples and nothings, like make the world of a difference. Yeah, they can open up a door. Um, that is so. I'm done with mine. That's all of yours. Yeah, I've got one more. Um, and it sort of leads right out of my non-holds, and that's the 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 skill and ability to search for beta that isn't apparent. Mm. Um, yeah, <clears throat> you know, yes, there are tricky sequences in the gym. Yes, there are things you may not see, but the the beta in a gym is still relatively limited. And you can see all of the holds. Every one of them is pink and right in front of you. And, you know, out on a rock, you get to use whatever's there. There are no rules. Yeah, searching for that beta when it's not apparent that you need to go from this hold to this hold and you're not sure where you're supposed to go is a is a skill that you you just can't learn in the gym and you know it gets greater and greater and greater the more moves you're doing so sport climbs you know somewhere like the red 59 can feel impossible to somebody who's a 512 climber in the gym because there are 7,000 chalked holds <laughs> and you don't know what to do because you could grab anything. The beta is not very apparent, you know? Yeah. The, the same, just the inverse problem of not knowing where to go is all the holds are usable. What do I do now? Yeah. That, I mean, that is definitely a thing. Like you can get overwhelmed with options yeah. outside so easily. Yeah, totally. All right. I think that's a great list of things. Um, you know, and no no shade thrown at the gyms here. No, they're gyms are preparing us really well. There there's no question of that. They've opened up, you know, I, I attribute a lot of the harder climbing in the world to gyms being available. Yeah. And I mean the changes now versus what things used to be, like the addition of volumes and the way holds are and like the professionalism of route setters. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, we really take leaps forward year after year and it's incredible to see yeah so no shade at all thrown at the gyms thanks for what you're doing root setters gym owners everybody out there Um, but these are things that you as the climber need to be really intentional about some of them you can practice and get a little better at in the gym if you try really hard to some of them you're just going to have to learn outside put the intention into that be aware of it and put the time in yeah. I think that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, and take your time. Like, it even for experienced outdoor climbers, like, it's normal. Like, in Waco, there's the common learning curve that everyone always says, like, oh, it's, like, it'll take you two weeks. 
Yeah. Like you're gonna be out here, you're gonna climb for, and it'll take two weeks of climbing where you're like feeling a little clunky and suddenly your feet are gonna stick to the rock more. The moves are gonna feel a little smaller. The hands are gonna feel a little bit bigger to you. Like it just takes a little adaptation. And you yep. get good at what you do. Like if you spend more time climbing outside, you'll get better at climbing outside. Totally, totally. And if you're in a gym, especially if you're in Salt Lake City and you want to get better at climbing outside and you think a coach would help you, Nate is in Salt Lake. He'll be doing some private coaching through the Momentum gyms. Um, you can hit him up through here. You can find him on Instagram at Nate Drolet. Yes. That's correct. You can also reach out through our website, info at powercompanyclimbing.com. We can connect you with Nate. Um, if you'd like to get a leg up, be better than your friends. We all want that, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, you guys know where to find us, uh, Power Company Climbing, on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the YouTubes, the Pinterests, all over the damn place. Find us there. Follow us. Um, please give us a five-star review. Um five-star rating leave us a review i don't even know what these things are we've been doing this podcast for so long put star emojis in the review and leave a five-star rating fire emojis i would prefer fire emojis actually yeah. um so please follow us on those social medias tell your friends and look for us on the twitter tweet about us but you're not gonna find us there because we don't tweet we scream like eagles <laughs> Don't